Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 254 of the Fun With Cars Formula One podcast. I'm Robin Warner, and today I'm joined by the man some call the Baguette Bandit, Chris Roche. Hey, Chris. Well, that's controversial. I think you're the beer bandit, mate. You have (laughs) taken beer from me without just cause, I would suggest. but it was so delicious, though. I just... We today we're going to talk about the French Grand Prix, which was the eighth round of the Formula One Championship. It is Tuesday evening, June twenty fifth, and here are all the results of the French Grand Prix. All right, everybody, I hope you're sitting down. Hang on to your hats. You're never gonna guess who won the race. It was Lewis Hamilton in the Mercedes, and he was followed by none other than his teammate Valtteri Bottas for yet another Mercedes 1-2. This is their sixth of the year. It has been Mercedes on the top step of the podium every single Grand Prix, and that continues. In third place, it was the lead Ferrari of Charles Leclerc. Good on him. Fourth place was the lead Red Bull Racing Honda, Max Verstappen. Fifth place, the second Ferrari, Sebastian Vettel. Sixth place, the lead McLaren Renault, Carlos Sainz, and his teammate had a rough one. Seventh place, the lead Alfa Romeo Racing Ferrari with Kimi Raikkonen. Eighth place, the lead Renault with uh, Nico Hulkenberg. Ninth place, the second McLaren Renault who did a masterful job to get to ninth place, Lando Norris. Tenth place in collecting the final point, the Ooh. man that has bought me a beer, effectively, Pierre Gasly in the second Roy Bull Racing. Thank you, Pierre. Eleventh place is the second Renault of Daniel Ricciardo. Twelfth uh, and thirteenth place go to the Racing Point Mercedes, led by Sergio Perez, followed by his teammate Lance Stroll. Fourteenth went to the lead uh, Toro Rosso Honda of Daniel Cafiat. He was followed by teammate Alexander Albon. 16th went to the second Alfa Romeo Racing Ferrari, Antonio Giovinazzi. 17th place, wow, that's the lead Haas Ferrari, Kevin Magnussen. 18th and 19th place were Williams Mercedes. And get this, this was Robert Kubica ahead of George Russell. And in 20th place, well, not actually classified, that was Romain Grosjean in the second Haas Ferrari. Chris, the beer was delicious. And so were the French fries. And so were the Vietnamese pho sandwiches. And the victory added that extra sweet sauce that just made it that much better. Thank you. You're very welcome. I I would have thought the beer must have tasted quite bitter, seeing as, you know, he just, he proved my point on, on Sunday, didn't he? more than eight-tenths behind his illustrious teammate, didn't finish in the points and had to rely on a Ricardo penalty to squeeze his way into the final point-paying position. And, um, you know, in a perfectly healthy car. I think that means he did score a point. I'm pretty sure, I'm looking at the numbers here, yeah, he scored a point. Yeah, fluked it. He finished 11th. Do you want to bet another beer that uh, Pierre Gasly will not score another point for the rest of the season? No, you're you're fine on that one. But I've got an interesting <laughs> because I'll tell you the beer did not taste bitter at all. First of all, my well, beer it was a fruity girl's drink. <laughs> <that didn't taste laughs> not really a beer. My, my beer was taller than yours. Let's not forget because <laughs> okay. it came in a freaking wine glass goblet thing, and it was bright pink. Exactly, it was delicious. It was beer. It said beer on the menu. I tried it, folks. It was awful. <laughs> it was awfully good. You just you because. Because you don't understand the the taste of victory, you don't understand that flavor profile. It just doesn't make sense to you. It, it, it was phenomenally good. So we're going to go off on a little tangent. Do you remember Ferrari once, <laughs> during one of their many malaise after Michael Schumacher retired, they, they promoted one of their test drivers. I can't remember the situation, but they promoted a guy called Luca Badoa to, to a race seat because they'd literally run out of drivers. I do remember that. And he was uh, quite sort of infamous for his awful performances. I mean, he was just miles off the pace in the Ferrari. Uh, He was so bad that some of the British uh, motorsport pundits uh, rechristened him, look how bad you are, which I thought thought was a little cruel. But um, Gasly, I mean, it's not a big leap to Gasly, is it? I mean, his performances are dire. And uh, he's going to be gone. I think that gin's coming soon, probably by the British Grand Prix. But the bet stands as we originally made it. 
<laughs> well, now, if he's within two tenths uh, for the Austrian or British Grand Prix, do I get another beer? Let's let's just first of all set the record straight that uh, you owed me a beer, you did pay in full, and in fact, you uh, added a tip on that. Um, it was a lovely uh, afternoon on Sunday. Thank you very much. Um, and I was very happy to show you one of um, Ann Arbor's local breweries for you to try close to your house. And um, <laughs> and I'm very happy to show you more. My question is, do, do I have a near beer coming my way if he's within two tenths in Austria or Great Britain? Yeah, so what I need to learn from my first um, bet is that I will happily place that bet again on the proviso that both of the Red Bull drivers have a clean qualifying session. Ooh, but there, there's a lot of gray area there. Oh, there is a lot of gray, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> because there's, there's absolutely subjective arguments to be made about whether a lap is clean or not. And uh, oh, I'm not I, no, 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 I know no. anyone, I know anyone that refuses such a delicious drink like iced tea would not be the type of person you trust in gray area moments such as those. Oh, uh, that's harsh. But um, <laughs> I mean, I'm talking when about... When I ever you know, harsh, Chris? What are you talking about? I'm talking about has drivers putting it in the wall to prevent, you know, Verstappen actually having a run on the quicker tyre. I'm talking about some sort of Honda powertrain failure. Could you imagine the possibility? Uh, no, I, I can. really can't. I can't. <laughs> I, but I, I will tell you that uh, I'm willing to give you that proviso and uh and uh just enjoy enjoy the beer that i had uh it's still the after the uh the taste is still there and it's and it's delicious the aftertaste is lovely <laughs> yeah, i'm not surprised it was <laughs> but uh yeah so uh moving on we yeah. we did have uh in fact it was immediately preceding my victory beer we had the French Grand Prix at uh, Le Casselet, um at the Paul Ricard circuit, a place I've actually been, and it's it's a it's a fascinating track. It's a beautiful track visually. These last two years of racing have not proven it out to be the best place for Formula One to be, and I don't think this year changed my. It certainly didn't change my opinion. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't a particularly exciting race, was it? It's a, it's a funny old track because it's it's narrow and quite long, and uh, it doesn't have a lot of um, undulation, does it? It's quite flat. Um, but we'll have to give it a bit more time, I think, before we write it off. And I'm not entirely convinced about all the striping that's going on. It makes it visually a little bit uh, busy at times, I think. But uh, you know, I mean, it was. Yeah, there just wasn't a lot of competition and that's happened before at different tracks and it'll happen again at, at, at others you know Mercedes came they brought their A game uh, pretty easy win Ferrari brought a lot of new parts uh, without uh, you know being able to close the gap so Vettel had a pretty awful weekend again uh, he, <laughs> <laughs> he got he got his penalty appeal from Canada rather harshly dismissed. It was a pretty laughable array of new evidence that Ferrari brought though. Did you read, did you look into that one? No, that I didn't I didn't hear about that, no. So they came with uh with I think five or six different points of new evidence and uh three of them I think the FIA said they had at their disposal during the race. Uh, one of which was um Karen Chandock's analysis on Sky TV after the race and he he felt that the penalty was harsh, so therefore Ferrari thought that was noteworthy. Good, good, uh, and good. The FI, that's lovely. Yeah, the FI rather cruelly dismissed that uh, as a valid piece of uh, evidence. So yeah, it was. They basically laughed in the face of Ferrari and said, uh, "No, the penalty stands. Off you go." And um, <laughs> then he he had a, made a hash of qualifying and was. I mean, he, the shocking thing was he got fastest lap Vettel on the last lap of the Grand Prix. After fitting, you know, brand new set of soft tires. Oh, He's but barely. His, yeah, barely by two hundredths of a second over Lewis Hamilton in his 31 uh, laps old hard compound tire. That's shocking. Yeah. No, Vettel, Vettel has had a rough – I mean, it, it's been rough for him ever since, really, the German Grand Prix last year. And uh, and it just continues. But um, 
I do want to make one point. It was an easy win for Lewis. It was not an easy second place for Valtteri Botas. He was properly being pressured by Leclerc uh, last few laps. Yeah, Charles had a good weekend, didn't he? Uh, strong in quali, and he was pushing in the race. And um, nice, clean weekend. He showed his pace a bit more of the performance we expected from his early early results this season. And yeah, he pushed uh, Botas pretty hard. I mean, Botas was a long way off Hamilton's pace, which is a worry. And now the, the points difference between the two of them is pretty large, and he's in trouble of watching his championship efforts implode dramatically, I think. I was watching Botas' performance, and your voice kept repeating in my head <laughs> of how Lewis always gets stronger as the season progresses. And to me, it was it was foreboding. It's like, man, is, is Valtteri not going to be able to show Lewis some real pace again? And I'm sure that I'm jumping the gun, and there, there'll be places where he's got real pace. But, you know, to me... Can't, uh, the French Grand Prix was a real moment of that Lewis has this solidly in hand. It does look that way. I mean, you know, the year he lost to Rosberg, he befell a lot of mechanical issues that his teammate didn't. So there's still hope for Botas if that could, uh, that might reoccur. But I mean, on genuine performance at the moment, it does look like there's only one winner. But uh, yeah, I mean, hopefully we'll see we'll see the order mixed up as the season wears on. I mean, there was signs of life, right? I was very heartened by the McLaren and, to a lesser degree, the Renault performance in France. Um, you know, Renault is a French uh, <laughs> team, a French manufacturer, so it's no surprise that they make a little bit of extra effort. But McLaren um, isn't their factory a few miles outside of Silverstone? Oh, is it? Yeah, you might have a point there, but you know, <laughs> they badge themselves as French, and if they ever win, you know what, uh, Anthony will be playing. And, and of course, I mean, Mercedes is in Brackley. The engines are in Bricksworth. Of course, they consider themselves a German team. So I, I jest, but I understand. Well, there was a couple of shots of the stands being full of uh, Renault workers, right, or wearing yellow. I think they bust them in when they couldn't sell the tickets, but. Uh, uh, <laughs> They, um, yeah, I mean, it was. I think Renault were a bit surprised to got out qualified by by and raced by McLaren. Um, Lando and Carlos did a great job, didn't they? And um, I mean, as you mentioned, Lando was unlucky not to get uh, the finish, um, the seventh place finish with his hydraulic issue. Well, uh, it, was, it was the last few corners of the last lap that it finally mm -hmm. happened, and yeah. um, we'll we'll skip ahead real quick. And that did bring about the most exciting racing of the weekend, and. Uh, Daniel Ricardo didn't end up with a penalty um, at the end of all that because of his uh, leaving the track to gain it and gaining an advantage. And that was after the pass on Lando, but to also get ahead of, was it Raikkonen or? Yep, Kimmy. Yep. Yeah. So. Yeah, you got two five second penalties, one for the Lando incident, one for the Kimmy incident. So, so there you go. Yeah. Yeah, uh, but that was an exciting. I mean, it all happened in the last two laps, didn't it? It would be great if they could have distributed some of that excitement throughout the. Yeah, the, well, it didn't all happen because again, you know, Leclerc was genuinely pushing on Botas, especially the last lap, and that was that was fun to see. I would have I would have definitely appreciated some more of that, more in the middle of the race. Mm -hmm. You know, where tire strategy was the the leading the leading story of the middle of the Grand Prix. I mean, I will give the race director some credit. He went searching for action. He even managed to find a Russell Kubitzer dice-up. So, I mean, that was a good effort. <laughs> true. Very true. So, yeah, I mean, you know, the, I, I think you're absolutely right. I think McLaren definitely performed in a genuinely improved rate. And, you know, Lando was driving really well until he had that hydraulic issue. It was really surprising to me that it was somewhere first, third, maybe halfway through the race, they started saying, hey, Lando, don't use your DRS anymore. And he asked, he said, is it because something's broken or is it because I'm not allowed to? And they told him that he wasn't allowed to. And at first it seemed like they were protecting Carlos signs from being passed by Lando because those two were right on top of each other for a little while. But then all of a sudden, Lando's car started falling apart in, in several ways. His steering got heavy. The shifts, the upshifts especially, got uh, quite harsh. 
and he was struggling with the car more and more. So I don't, I didn't understand how those two were connected and why they didn't tell him that it was, hey, this was necessary. The cars and the cars wounded. They just told him he wasn't allowed. Do you have any further explanation of that? No, I, I don't. All I can think is that if you know you have a fault on the vehicle and that there's a chance that the DRS may be locked in an open position, that you're told not to use it. That's the only thing I could think of there, but that, yeah, something to investigate. But, but I, why wouldn't they say, no, it might break? You know what I mean? Yeah, it's an odd radio message. I mean, maybe they just didn't want to go in too long, distract the poor chap. But uh, yeah, it was it was curious. Because I, I mean, and why didn't he follow up with, what do you mean, why am I not allowed to use it? Everyone else is using it. Because, um, I mean, for a long time, because Saints, Saints pit uh, Lando from the start, right? And then they were following within a couple of seconds through most of the Grand Prix until he, he started having the hydraulic issue. So right. they were always, you know, running sort of no, you know, fairly close running order. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, they, they, they definitely had the fourth quickest pace of, of all the teams, you know, comfortably ahead of everyone else. I mean, it was quite interesting, the pecking order, wasn't it? I mean, you know, Kimi snuck the alpha up there again. Um, and then, but the other teams really fell off badly. I mean, Force India has has had a dire weekend. It was uh, shocking. Has seventeenth and twentieth. Yeah, I mean that that's uh, that's quite bad. You know, for a team that has been, you know, uh, both cars in Q three, multiple two car point scoring finishes. Yeah, so it was a rough weekend for them, certainly. Yeah, they're, they're really struggling to understand the tires. But you would have thought eight races in, you would have been starting to get on top of that. They seem to be getting worse, which is yeah. uh, which is a worry. Well, I, you know, I I've noticed, you know, Haas has developed a reputation, at least to me, where they are quite good at building competitive cars early on, but then the development of those cars, they they really fall behind the other teams, and they tend to. They tend to be as strong as they could be at the beginning of the season. That's what I've noticed these last couple of seasons. Well, they are quite a small team, aren't they? And um, I was actually listening to a Gunter Steiner podcast, and you know, I didn't realize their setup is 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 really a lot more complicated than I thought. So they actually, you know, work very closely with Delara. Delara make the the tub basically. Yep. Yep. Um, and yeah, they they, have, I mean, uh, they have a ton of stuff from Ferrari, and then the yeah. actual frame, the tub, as you said, that's there's a lot of Delara work. I knew, I yeah. knew those two things. But uh, has have people embedded at Delara's factory, and um, so you know they're they're making sh- they're having some influence in the design, but I guess they're also doing but, testing yeah. of components and other and other bits and bobs out of the Delara factory. So, you know, the logistics of that team are pretty amazing. You got. Uh, U.S. operation, you've got a U.K. operation, you've got an Italian operation. I mean, and you've got by far the smallest team. And um, that's a pretty complicated little setup there. Yeah, but, you know, I I genuinely, I feel uh, that it's, it's, it's pretty pure Americana cleverness in my point of view that he's like, well, okay, this is Gene Haas I'm, I'm thinking of. He says, what do I need? I need a tub and I need these suspension bits. I need these arrow bits. What do I, what do the rules say? He's like, oh, I don't actually have to build a lot of this stuff. I could just farm it out. So, you know, he's just, it's basically Gene Haas's way of delegating responsibilities. And that makes Gunther Steiner's uh, uh, logistics a little bit more challenging. But from a pure cost output point of view, it's quite clever on Gene Haas's part. I mean, I, I would agree with you, but it depends on your ambition, doesn't it? If you want to build a Formula One team to be fifth quickest team forever, it's brilliant. <laughs> if you actually want to win the world championship one day, it's not going to get there, is it? So I'm not quite sure I understand the motivation. To be honest with you, for Gene Haas, it might be the former. I'm not kidding. I, I, I you know, I think I think he has a lot of motivations to be in Formula One. I'm sure he'd love to win the championship. But this is Gene Haas is not Roger Penske. You know, the, the the aspirations for winning and the interests, the priorities aren't the same. Yeah, fair enough. I just find that, yeah, motivation a little bit 
I mean, he runs a business, right? It's good branding, good good uh, marketing, just like uh, Red Bull situation. You know, get your brand awareness. But ultimately, you know, for me, Formula One should be about entering, you know, either as a driver, as a team to try and ultimately win it and to set, you know, plans in motion to do that. And I mean, you know, first couple of seasons, you're just getting established, getting a foot in the door. And they've been, you know, as an entrant to F1, probably the you know, big, biggest success story in years and years, right? Since since Red Bull bought Jag. But, but and so that was great. But you've got to move on at some point. I mean, you've got to, you've got to try and take the next step. Yeah, um, I, I, I think you're I think you're right. And I think he will eventually. But I honestly, I think his motivations financially were even more direct to that. I think this is based on the tiniest little bit of information I know. I he's he's got these tooling these different tooling kits and um he wanted to show their use in Europe and he he did so in a very direct way now. So I think he's been quite happy. That's that's my that's my uh hunch based on the little I know. Because Gene Haas's business is specialty tooling. And so there's that part of it. I think he is interested in eventually getting that place where Formula One, you know, his team is just as big and legitimate as the others, but only in a financially viable way. And I think that part will make it make that part be a slower, a slower go. But you know as well as I do, right? If you're not trying to move forward in F1, you, you're going to go backwards. And um, yeah, okay. So Williams, it's pretty hard to beat Williams at that at the moment. But the, I still believe there's sides of life over at Williams. And, uh, um, you know, they've been pretty stung by their disastrous performances the last couple of years. You've seen a dramatic improvement in Sauber's performance, uh, rebadged as an alpha this year. But uh so that's the danger, isn't it? If you're not you're not keeping up with the arms race, next thing you know, you're, you're trailing the field by a second or whatever. So, right, right, or more. Yeah, no, there, there's a lot of truth to that. Now, I, there is one other race point that I wanted to talk to you about, um, and that was Sergio Perez. Uh, he got a penalty, first lap of the race, uh, I think turn three, where he was racing. I, I'll, I'm apologizing. I forget who he was racing against. And uh, he kind of sort of got cut off and took the escape route, followed the correct way to go around the escape route to a T. So he obeyed all those rules, but ended up two places ahead when he re-entered the track correctly. And there was a penalty and he was unhappy about it. But I think the the next was like, well, you were in 18th place. You went off the track. You came back in 16th place. You can't do that. You gained an advantage. And so you, which way are you leaning on that one? Well, I'm, I, I'm, I'm thinking that the FIA was correct here, but yeah, absolutely. absolutely. You can't take, you know, no matter what deviations and three point turns you perform while you're off the track, if you come out ahead of everyone else and you've been off the racetrack as you were supposed to take it, then of course you should get penalty. That's, you know what? I, I having think having thought about it a little bit clearer, uh, uh, I actually completely disagree with you, Chris. That's the most <laughs> ridiculous thing I've ever heard. No, it, it, I, it, the the reason why I brought it up is because it was a fascinating point to me that. If he followed to the letter the rules of if you go off the track, this is what you have to do, get back on. What does that say about the escape route and the track itself that he could do that and gain two places? Do you see that's that's it's a little bit more of a thought piece in that sense. It's like, well, hold on, why why is that possible that he can gain two places? Well, I mean the runoff areas, uh poor Ricardo massive, aren't they? And so there's a ton of places you could cut the corners dramatically and so you, for every corner that you could cut you have to then create a series of curbing or barricades to slow the cars down sufficiently to make it a slower course of action and clearly they didn't do that properly in this instance i mean if you think you know the other classic places around the f1 circuit monza right the first chicane at monza you can go straight on but they put uh, barricades in there Precisely. Really, so yeah. if if you follow if you follow the letter of the law there, you absolutely will go slower because those barricades are basically multiple chicanes. 
So basically, the FIA gave them a penalty for their own ineptitude in this instance, it sounds like. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's... It's just a funny one. I agree with you, but ultimately, you, the, the track is defined, and we know that. I mean, this was the thing that shocked me when I watched the Indy cars in Austin, because they were all running. I, th- I can't remember was it the the last or the penultimate corner. Turn eighteen. Their, yeah, it was. Uh, yeah. No, I'm sorry, nineteen. Their line was extraordinary. They were all going well off the circuit onto the runoff area. Uh, as, as every lap, all of them, right? Because yeah. it was just the fastest way around that corner. Now, that's one. It was brilliant. Loud. I love that. <laughs> but, it, but, but that's because IndyCar rules allow you to do that, right? Exactly but right. Formula One rules do not. They say that you shouldn't be all four wheels off the racetrack. And so Perez was, effectively. Yeah. So Perez's penalty was absolutely the deserved, but their argument was also sound in the sense that it was like, well, wait, we listened to all, we, we followed your rules. And it's like, yeah, but dude, you can't, you can't just straight line and gain a position. But the thing is, to me, what, what frustrates me is that the fastest way around the track should be allowed. And the tracks should naturally not have the runoff area be the fastest way around the track. That's that's what frustrates me. If 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 you go to Road America and you try to cut a corner, if you somehow make it, you're not going to still go faster. You know what I mean? The fastest way around the track is on the track. Full stop. There's no you know, there's no cheating area. Well, I guess there's one. You could actually there's a little road between turn five and turn 13. So you could, you could cut about, uh, you could cut about half the track off. And, and, and <laughs> Don't do tell Sergio that. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, right. But, uh, yeah. So if Sergio joins IndyCar and is all of a sudden winning every road America race, then, then we have an issue. But, um, uh, my point is, is the track, the fastest way around is quite obvious. And, and uh, it's on the track. There's no exceeding track limits to worry about. Do you see what I'm getting at? And that's oh, what frustrates me about Formula One. It's the nature of modern tracks, though, isn't it? They've they've tried to create, um, you know, they've made sure that you can't hit anything for a quarter of a mile off the track on a, on a modern circuit. And they've got rid of the gravel traps that used to penalize people who went off the road because yep. that wasn't very safe. And they figured out that runoff, large runoff areas was the safest uh, solution. And you end up with this... This, this this situation and it's not I mean I, Paul Ricard could drop off the calendar this year and I don't think I'd miss it I mean I used to loathe Magna Corps that was a real dire track the races were even more boring there so maybe we should be careful what we wish for but look I mean they there are definitely better better tracks on, on the uh, on the calendar and um, we should just look forward to those I think yeah, yeah fair enough well um, I just, is there anything else about uh, the French Grand Prix specifically that stood out to you? Well, I think, no, not in terms of the race. I think we can just wildly speculate what's going to happen from here, though, because there are people... Well, I, I do want to do that, yes. But <laughs> oh, okay, I, great. I, but, I I, before, but before we... Yes, <laughs> yes, I will give you the... I will, but I just want to quickly say that it's... Uh, Lewis Hamilton is leading the Drivers' Championship with... <laughs> 187 points compared to Valtteri Bottas with 151. Sebastian Vettel is in third with a 111, which is a big, big drop-off. And then uh, it is Max Verstappen in fourth with 100 points even. Uh, Charles Leclerc is in fifth with 87. And then Pierre Gasly is sixth with 37, which I hear is the best possible number you can have at this point in the championship. Uh, seventh place is Carlos Sainz with 26 points. Eighth, Kimi Raikkonen with 19. Daniel Ricciardo is ninth with 16. And Nico Hulkenberg has 16 points in 10th place. So uh, in the Constructors um, Championship, well, I bet you can guess that uh, Mercedes has <laughs> the lead with <laughs> 338 points compared to Ferrari's 198. That's after eight rounds. That's just, that's incredible. Uh, Red Bull has, Red Bull Racing has 137, and McLaren Honda, McLaren McLaren Renault has 40. So I'm not going to bother to go down from there. It's it's a big, big drop-off from there. 
But uh, so, yeah, that that's going to conclude what we have to say about the French Grand Prix. Chris, wildly speculate. So we, we touched on this earlier. Vettel lost his, Vettel and Ferrari lost their appeal against the penalty from Canada. Uh, I mean, I think there, there are rumours that he had a, a power unit issue during the course of the weekend, which hampered his performance. So let's give him the benefit of the doubt there. But ultimately, his body language and his general demeanour wasn't great. And so this is coming off the back of yet another one of his mistakes to hand the win to, to Lewis. And mm-hmm. then he gets roundly thrashed by his teammate in France. Um, if this continues, uh, you know, either the mistakes are being beaten by his teammate. The question is, where does he go from here? Because I can't see him being the de facto Ferrari team lead anymore. If, if Leclerc continues to really push him and actually ends up outscoring him this season, which is not beyond the realms of possibility. Oh, certainly not. Then, you know, it's another situation of Red Bull against Danny Rick, right? And he's going to have to go and find pastors new. And where would he go? Might have to do an Alonso on us and go to Le Mans. Huh. Well, you know, Le Mans is not a good place for mistakes. I think that um, he might be better off than DTM, where you can bang and thrash around a bit more. But I mean, just the suggestion that he might be, uh, you know, under this much pressure, it's just, I mean, it's extraordinary, isn't it? I mean, there was one point where he could not stop winning races, you know, in his pomp back back at Red Bull. I mean, he went on an extraordinary run and it just all got a bit boring in the end, you know, and four-time world champion and it looked like the world was his oyster and he was going to challenge, you know, Schumacher's seven seven titles at one point. And and now he, he seems to... Seems to be in a pretty bad place, I would suggest. Uh, yeah, man, I, I wish, I wish I could argue with you. No, I, I completely agree, and I have a feeling that Vettel, if he were to leave Ferrari, my guess is he would retire from Formula One, and my guess, my wild theory would be that he wouldn't be in racing for a couple of years, and then maybe he would jump into something like. Lamar, or maybe he would find a place in IndyCar, something like that. I don't see Vettel in IndyCar. That doesn't feel like a good fit, but but uh, that would be my guess, is that if he's leaving Ferrari, he's leaving Formula One, and I, I genuinely think he would take some time off. Yeah, I mean, it's a shame, right? We want to have... Uh... We want to have a good battle. Obviously, everyone wants a good battle. And, you know, Max is is up for that fight. But the, the Red Bull Honda's not quite there yet. Uh, Charles is still learning how to get the best out of Ferrari. And it's, you know, it's... Well, Charles has to learn how to say no to them sometimes. I think mm, that's mm. part of it. I mean, you know, you're, just, you're opening up all fresh wounds from Monaco where the team was like, oh, no, you're fine. Don't go out again. You know, <laughs> you know those types of things that have to, those have to be nipped in the bud. Yeah, I mean, how many? Do you, just a pop quiz: How many uh, drivers do we currently have on the grid that have a world championship to their name? Well, let's see. Um, well, uh, uh, Hamilton's got a couple. Uh, uh, Botas has none. Um, <laughs> it's going to take a while if you're going to go down the whole order. <laughs> Vettel, Vettel has a few. Um, and because Button's gone, yeah, Alonso's gone, Alonso's gone. Uh, oh, Raikkonen, so yeah. there's a third. Um, I think that might be it. That's it. So, yeah. obviously, Kimmy's in a Sauber Romeo and not going to win another one. And so, really, you know, it's it's got it, it's Vettel, it's on him to, to be taking the fight to Hamilton. As he has done the last couple of seasons. But Are you trying to reduce his pressure or add, <laughs> or add to it? Uh, this is, if you were a psychiatrist, I would be, I would be shopping around. You would not get the best Yelp review from me for psychiatry. <laughs> yeah. Um, I just, I, I thought what I find fascinating is how he's just, he, he was so solid, wasn't it? There was a period where, pole position and then he'd get into the lead and he'd control the race and it was done 
and it was a bit like Lewis's performance in France. It was metronomic in terms of its precision and consistency, right? And where's that gone? Is that the same guy that we see today? It's just complete contrast. It's like two different drivers. Yeah, but, you know, I, to be honest with you, I think we saw, I, what we saw was true Red Bull dominance back then. I mean, because think about it was um, Canada 2012 when Button, he was in last place at one point in the McLaren. And then sure enough, last couple of laps, he was on the back of Vettel pushing him hard. Uh, McLaren versus Red Bull. And Vettel made a mistake, went wide. Button got around him and won the Grand Prix. And I think Vettel is the type of guy that if he's has low enough levels of pressure, he's quick, he's consistent, and he just he just goes about his business, gets it done. But when he's under real pressure, he doesn't handle it as well. And I'm comparing him to, you know, you know, the top drivers in the world in Formula One. I'm not saying that, oh, you know, I would crack Vettel too. Uh, I'm saying that uh, his, what he can handle just doesn't seem quite so high. But there there was evidence of this even in the middle of his championships. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. He's 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 been known to crack under pressure before, but they were quite rare occasions, weren't they? And that's become more consistent but you're right he has had a less dominant car but the the, you know so that leads me on to my question of you know you think about four-time world champions you normally think you know some of the greats um i mean there's only one other four-time world champion but yeah but multi-world champions there's there's prost there's hamilton there's schumacher i mean in terms of four and up oh and fangio thank you But, I mean, okay, if you want to throw in the, the triple world champions too, so people like Stewart, which was really cool. He was in the anteroom, by the way. And yeah. then uh, Senna. Uh, Stuart, you and have Stewart, Senna, um, and so, uh, Piquet. Yeah. I mean, these are all drivers that you think of, you know, they're in the top 20 of your all-time F1 list, probably. Um, but, you know, Vettel keeps driving like this. He's not, not becoming of a four-time world champion, I, I, I would suggest. Yeah, but I mean, th- can we strip him of a couple of those? <laughs> well, here's—I'm sure Alonso wouldn't mind that. Uh, the, I, but you have to think about this from another point of view, though. Uh, Schumacher came back into Formula One racing in 2010 through 2012, and he was mid-pack at best. Now, this was obviously before the Mercedes uh, was truly showing his potential, but he was handily all qualified and outraced by Nico Rosberg and Schumacher in his prime would not be out qualified by Nico Rosberg that handedly. So I think that, um, maybe, maybe Vettel's, you know, maybe his staying power isn't quite as good as he used to be. I know that he's a father now. Um, and there's other things like that. So maybe he's just in a different stage in his life that he can't put the same focus on that he could before. And Schumacher is still remembered as, you know, statistically the greatest driver of, in the history of Formula One. I don't think I don't think Vettel's completely tarnished his reputation just yet. Yeah, that's, that's fair. But, I mean, Schumacher's return didn't do his reputation any favors, did it? I mean... <laughs> no. Um, it put a big question mark, really, over... A little bit. Of, I mean, if you wanted to look for it, that wasn't you know something easily found, wasn't it? I mean, you, you really ninety one wins, and some of his wins in his early days were just spectacular. So, you know, well, I mean, the two championships in the Benetton, unquestionably brilliant, right? Well, certainly the ninety five. I think the ninety four one's a bit more controversial. But the okay. 95 one, yeah. I mean, he just trounced everyone in 95. I mean, Hill, Hill didn't know. He had no no, no response, right? Nor did anyone else on the grid that year. Uh, 94 is a more complicated season for many, many reasons, not least of which was there was people who thought the Benetton were running illegal electronic aids at the start of the year, right? So I think the, that that is a trickier one. But, but of the seven championships, you know, he did, he earned he earned them all unquestionably, um, but um, yeah, I mean, we, 
I don't know where I'm going. I just, I can't believe Vettel's in this situation, I think, is what I'm concluding. I can't believe a guy who's won four titles, who, you know, still controls and has the backing of Ferrari, is has found himself in this situation. It's just a bit extraordinary, honestly. Yeah, no, I agree with you. You know, I, I agree with that sentiment, absolutely. Um, but, you know, Austria is not far away at all, and maybe he'll, maybe he'll be on the mend in just a few days' time. Yeah. Um, someone who will not be on the mend in a few days' time, uh, Patty Lowe. Uh, he's officially left Williams. Uh, his tenure at Mercedes, speaking of reputations, was brilliant. His tenure at Williams was effectively the exact opposite. <laughs> so, I mean, I remember talking to you about it in the past, and you had you were much more willing to blame Williams for this than Patty himself. But I, now that he's officially gone and everything's happened, I mean, it, it, he was in charge and the car was dreadful. Oh, yeah, no doubt. I mean, last year, I think, you know, we the Williams performance was awful. And I think uh, it was too early at that point to blame Patty because he hadn't been there long enough. Um, it wasn't his car. And so I wanted to give him the opportunity of, overseeing the development of this year's car uh, to see if he could resurrect things and clearly he couldn't i mean it was an embarrassment from the start of this year the car's a disaster he has to take responsibility for that it's hugely disappointing really um because i thought he could be the guy who could start to turn things around and, and get williams back oh, to i think a lot of people did yeah, yeah it's shocking it's very yeah. sad because i mean you know paddy worked for williams back in the day right uh the active suspension car, he worked on that, the FW14B. So, you know, he started his, well, I think, at least early years of his career at Williams. He went back. He went back, I think, with good intentions. Um, and it just didn't work out at all for anybody. It's, it's a shame. Is 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 gardening leave like a Britishism? Is that, because uh, that's what he was on until until today, when he was officially announced he's done. What, yeah. What's gardening leave? Because it doesn't take three months to garden. I'm sorry. It just doesn't. <laughs> so gardening leave uh, is usually that term is normally applied when a team hires a rival designer. And they, they basically, uh, the gardening leave applies to stop the designer taking all his knowledge from the one team immediately to the other. So that wh whatever that period might be, six months or a year, basically allows him to become, you know, his memory to fade, potentially. <laughs> I see. And so they call they, they call that gardening leave. It's an enforced break. And I don't, I'm not entirely sure who pays for for the bills during that time. I think they're all the top designers that are well enough paid, they probably don't worry too much about it. But someone must be picking up the tab for the gardening leave. But in Paddy's case, no one wanted to hire him. I mean, he's toxic now. Sadly, yeah. so so I I think they just didn't want to just come out and, and fire him immediately. So it was a mercy gardening leave. Mercy gardening leave, exactly. <laughs> well, um, again, thank you very much for the beer, but you did you did in fact miss a wonderful indie car race. It was Alexander Rossi that dar dominated from flag to flag, but there was just all the way through the field from second on down. There was great racing. And uh, I'm I'm as Formula One continues through its season and IndyCar continues through its. I'm becoming a bigger and bigger IndyCar fan. Oh wow! Compared to Formula One, it just when it comes to efficient. when it comes. Well, I, I don't think defecting is the right word because I'm still <laughs> I'm still loyal to Formula One. But when it comes from a, a pure racing product. Uh, Indy's got it soundly trounced right now. See, I have a problem with that sentence. I mean, Formula One's not a product for me. It's it's just it, it, you know it's, it's an altar to worship at. That's my no, view. But but uh, but uh, it's a mar <laughs> it's marketing lingo. But what I'm getting at is Formula One is the pinnacle. What what keeps Formula One in its stead is you know obviously I have a technical background. You have a technical background. To see the engineering. Um, engineering that happens to give these cars the capability they have and the engineering and the logistics that uh, goes on to so many people working to make every lap the perfect lap. It's, it's hugely impressive, right? But the racing has been boring. 
in a lot of the Grand Prix this year. And racing fundamentally is the thing I'm looking for. And when it comes to that, even though IndyCar is much closer to a spec series, the racing is much more entertaining to watch. Yeah, I mean... Racing product. How 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 far do you go with that? I mean, I've watched racing series from club level up to international level. You know, the British Touring Car um, product is pretty good. Um, The, you know... Caterham single single make series is pretty entertaining. I mean, at the end of the day, that's all good racing, but Formula One is is more than that. And, I mean, I'd say IndyCar is the pinnacle of one make racing. There's no doubt about that, and it's a very good series. Some great drivers, um, and it and it is very entertaining. But it's a different it's a different sort of animal, I think. Um, and I mean, I'm glad to see it's back to to delivering you know exciting races i mean during the 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 nadir of the cart irl battle i mean it all looked pretty pretty tragic didn't it and it looked like yeah. it might all yeah. implode so it's fantastic it's back and i don't think it's really a it's not one versus the other i think if you like formula one you probably enjoy an indie indie race and, and well, vice versa. no 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 and i'm not trying to say it's one versus the other but what i am saying is that i think formula one would be very smart to adopt some of the concepts that IndyCar has taken. Just like I think the ACO would be incredibly smart to adopt some of the steps that IMSA has taken. Um, but to Can the you think of one, a, an example? The, yeah, yeah. Perfect example. IndyCars, as of 2018, have uh, mandated, uh, and IndyCar has more control over this, but the FIA has plenty of control. or more, it's between 65 and 70% of the downforce created on an IndyCar comes from the floor. The rest come from the wings, which makes the IndyCar much less aero-sensitive than they used to be. And also, overall downforce is down. So the the reduction in aero-sensitivity means that IndyCars cars can follow what used to be one second behind one Indy car being one second behind another was like a 10% to 20% reduction in aero efficiency. Now it's half a second between the two before they get a 10 to 20% reduction in aero efficiency. So they can run closer without losing performance quite literally. And then lower downforce overall means the drivers aren't working any harder, but it's a lot easier to see them working hard. So you're getting a lot more visual evidence of the effort that the drivers are putting in to go as fast as they can. And I think both of those things would do Formula One a lot of good. And that, they do not have the same control as IndyCar does, but they have more control of, this is, you know, in general sense of the ratios of where downforce should come from. Yeah, but I mean, you're right. But I think Formula One, you know, Ross Braun and the team that are that are now employed to try and identify the right rules going forward, they understand that's the problem, and they 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 introduce the new front wings to try and move in the right direction. And the next major rule change in twenty twenty one will will go further. I mean, the 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 issue in Formula One is 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 not that they don't know how to fix the issue. Is that they that there's a political dimension to it that makes that complicated and get all the teams to agree on the rules and the and the rate of change of the rules. That's what makes them slow, I think, to adopt change for the good of the the formula. It's um, it's there's just so much irony in that statement. You're 100 percent correct, but there's so much irony in that statement about how how Formula One is the slowest sanctioning body to react to issues. Um, you know, and but. I, and I, I hope you're right, but, uh, you know, you know, I just don't know. There's there's definitely been fall off. Like when when we switched to turbo V6s from the V8s, a lot of people were were upset about the noise. And I agree with them that the V8s definitely sounded better. But that wasn't enough for me to turn my back on Formula One. The racing is getting 
more and more likely to be stale. That doesn't turn my back on Formula One, but it's making it harder to, you know what I mean? It's making it a little bit more difficult to defend it. And more and more people are turning their back on Formula One as these changes take place. So I think Formula One needs to be a lot more conscious of what is attracting people to the sport and what is pe- what is turning people away from the sport. And I, to me, yeah, they better start moving faster towards good solutions here. I mean, I always struggle a little bit when people reference, you know, the good old days of Formula One and how close the racing was. I mean, you just go back through the history books and you'll find races that were won by much greater margins than 18 seconds. Oh, yeah. No, um, you're absolutely right about that. So it's, it, yeah, and that, those were the days when they had fairly laughable wings and not too much, you know, it's this pre-ground effect. Uh, pre-complete understanding of, of the aero performance. So, yeah, it's a, I mean... But they, I they also, I mean, back then, there would be huge differences in power. Yeah. Back then. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and you know, the haves and have-nots still existed, right? Ferrari had the most money and the best resources. Um, and you had the garagisti that, that were all, you know, working out tiny little operations yeah, here, there, yeah. and everywhere. I mean, it's it's just the way the sport's been for a long time, and, and it goes through fallow periods, periods, and then it goes through periods where the racing is extraordinary. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, you just have to, you know, it's, it's the plight of a racing fan to endure the rough, rough times, I guess. Yeah, I know, but it's not, I mean, it's not wrong for the fans' standards to get higher, you know. You know, Formula One was an amazing thing to watch in the 60s and 70s because this was much closer to the infancy of these kinds of engineering tricks. And uh, that was same, same was true of the Indianapolis 500, where you'd have 60, 70, 80 cars qualifying for a 33-car field. And this, the, the, all these novel tricks that people were attempting... And, uh, you know, so it was, that was the attraction. Now that it's a much more mature sport and a lot, you know, we're looking at smaller gaps, uh, in performance, you have to have an agile mindset of like, okay, well, what, what's keeping people interested in this? And, you know, innovation is, is a smaller part of it these days. Well, I disagree with that. I think, I think the... The innovation's still there. I think it's more subtle. I think it's harder to spot, especially for the casual fan. I think um, you know. There's a but how many why... how many non-casual fans can you live off of? Do you know what I mean? Like you, you need casual fans. Yeah, but I mean, you go back in the day, and you had a Tyrrell, you know, six wheeler. Okay, I mean, you want to have extra add extra wheels so people can spot it. And you want to watch, you know, for thirty seconds. I'm, that's not a sport I want. I want a Formula One to turn into it. It shouldn't be dumbed down to the extent where, you know, it, yeah. But there's a huge difference between dumbing down and, you know, adapting to modern times. You know, I look. I agree wholeheartedly that they should try and and uh, bring the grip levels back more on the mechanical side rather than the aero side. I think that would benefit the racing. I do not want to see Formula cars. I don't really want to see. Um, spec parts proliferate any any more than they really have. I like to see the differentiation. I like the fact that the teams were supposed to engineer their own car. Um, they're all supposed to be constructors. They're all supposed to make the cars. I think that that does lead to periods where some teams have have found a, an advantage over others, and it leads and, and occasionally it shakes up the order. Yeah, we're going through a period of Mercedes dominance. We've had those periods before. It'll come to an end. It always does, and. Um, you know, someone else will start winning, and hopefully, we'll have a period where we have very close racing. Um, I, but you know, the, the reason why IndyCar works is because you you've got a spec car, and the teams are really limited in what they can do to modify that that car, and and it's all down into the you know the quality of the crew and the setup and and the driver skill, um, and that's great. That works for IndyCar. It's not that's not that's not the solution for F1 though. <sighs> well. Um... <laughs> A big deep sigh. Never mind. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's one of those things. I listen. That is what's great about having you as a co-host. Um, 
is that uh, I buy the beer occasionally. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, is that we can have arguments where I eventually end up with free beer. So, um, but no, I, I listen. I I understand what you're saying, and I and I absolutely think come from look at your point of view with an abundance of respect. Um, but uh, yeah, I can't say. You know, it's frustrating because do I want Formula E where you could get fan boost or for a lap oh, or gosh. whatever? No, yeah. absolutely not. But to a certain extent, DRS is not that far from that. That's a false yeah, but way. IndyCar has pushed a pass. IndyCar has pushed a pass. I'm not, I'm not, I don't like that either. Um, but uh, what I'm saying is, is that we're we're now to a place because as a society we've got a much better grasp of how air flows and its impacts on a car we need to adopt we need to be ad- adapted to that so that the the uh the racing is what people want to see and you know i'm still a big fan i would be happier if we didn't have hybrids, but we still had an efficiency gain. Like, you know, it's there's there's still a lot to be gained. Um, I would love it if we had a rule that said, okay, here's the race weekend. Here's your 80 liters of fuel. That's what you get for the weekend. Go have fun. Go racing. <laughs> for the weekend. <laughs> yeah. Just whatever. Some okay. absurdly low amount. But then, but the rules were fairly open after that. And the counter argument to those types of things is it was like, well, okay, then then you get into the haves and have nots again. But I. But, but do you think that's going to actually improve the on track excitement? I mean, do you think that's going to result in more passes? I, I, I mean, I think that would be an interesting formula. I don't think it's going to improve the racing, though. You end up with a, with a, a sports car series. And I mean, I like sports cars, but it, it's not really where you go if you want to see wheel-to-wheel racing, is it? Yeah, no, that's a fair point. No, that that is a fair point. That is a fair point. Well, let's conclude but, on that then. You said, yeah, <laughs> let's let's do that. Let's hey, do that. I have one other observation. Did you notice during the Grand Prix that there appeared to be a flyover at the end of the race? I don't think I've ever seen that before. And how did they go? Wait, seriously? It? Yeah. Yeah, somehow there's three planes in formation as Lewis comes over for the checkered flag. That's uh, like, no, that's totally missed that. I'll, I'll be honest with you, though, if you want the total truth. Had fallen asleep by then. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, the second, I, I was quite preoccupied because the second the checkered flag flew French Grand Prix, I was dashing off to the brew pub to meet you. Oh, and you, you know I was already a couple minutes late, so... <laughs> So I wasn't necessary. I I had other things on my mind at the at the moment. Free beer, yeah, it can yeah. It can distract you. <laughs> <laughs> there, there, were, there was some free beer that, in my manlier, taller glass than yours. The other thing that was amusing was that Carlos Sainz, who was just about to be lapped by Lewis, um, jinked over to the right to celebrate at his pit wall <laughs> that he hadn't quite finished the race, that he was still on the penultimate lap, but got on all the all the finishes photog- uh, photographs. I thought that was quite a funny move. I wonder if Jack, <laughs> Zach Brown requested that. That's really funny. Oh, good for him. No, I like moves like that. So, all right. Well, uh, where are we? Okay. Yes. The next uh, race in Formula One is going to be the Austrian Grand Prix. It's uh, next weekend, June 30th. I hear it's going to be epic, nothing but passing. Uh, the next IndyCar race is the Honda Indy of Toronto. That is the middle of July, July 14th, which is, ironically enough, uh, we talked about Formula E. Formula E is going to be in New York City on uh, July 14th. Um, the World Endurance Championship season is over. Um, the next race is going to be um, uh, the new season and that's going to be at Silverstone. So uh, that's going to be uh, like more than two months away. So that's September 1st, four hours of Silverstone. And then the next IndyCar race is going to be at – this is a, a, actually one to see. It's going to be at the Watkins Glen. It's the six hours Watkins Glen. That's also um, next week, same weekend as the Austrian Grand Prix. And I want to thank you for listening 
Please take a moment to review us on iTunes or on whatever platform you get our podcasts. Please leave comments on the episode of your choice by going to funwithcars.com. As always, I can be reached at feedback at funwithcars.com. Tweet us at fun underscore with underscore cars. And check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash fwcars. And also, I am real quick, very sorry for the poor audio quality of the last podcast. Uh, we were a bit in a bit of a bind, um, but I really appreciate your patience with that. And I hope that uh, you'll find this audio quality uh, much better. But anyway, Chris, great talking to you as always. Thank you. Thank you, Robert. Thank you. I'm Robin Warner. Goodbye. Goodbye.